What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and Aints. I'm your favorite host, Brandon. No. No, I'm Katie. No. I am your favorite host. <laughs> Are you going to leave that in? You're the favorite host? Probably. That's I'm why the, he says it. Shut up. I'm the real favorite host, <laughs> Sam. On today's episode, we are talking about not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> and I feel some kind of way about it. As you very well should. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A day on, not a day off, slash really a day off because they're just passing about like Oprah, MLK, Juneteenth. You get a holiday. Yes. You get a holiday every single Negro day. Get safe. Hot look day. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. sort of, but actually we're going to talk about heroes and what we do when they die and how we try to prevent them from becoming tools of the empire. But before we get into that, we have a few church announcements for the good of the congregation. So with that, let's get into it. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to Holy Shit Pod, a holy irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I've already done that once, but I felt like doing it again. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord today. A couple of housekeeping things before we get into the church announcements. If you didn't see it last week, there is a survey in the show notes to today's podcast and last week's podcast episode as well. We are interested in hearing from you what you like, what you don't like, what you love. It's a five-minute survey. Click on the link in the show notes and let us know how you're liking the content as we begin this new year. We're approaching our 50th church anniversary, aka the 50th episode. We've been at this thing nearly a year, and we just want to keep on getting better and better for you. So click on the link in the show notes and let us know what you're thinking. I said it was a couple of housekeeping things, but it's really just one. So now, church announcements. For our first church announcement, white people are at it again. <laughs> you don't know where I'm going because there is no script. It could be a thousand things. What they do now. Have y'all heard about Encanto? Mm-hmm. Yes. Encanto. Did y'all watch it? Yes. Sam, don't tell no lies. You said it with too much energy. I, I watched Maribel in the, in the Madri- Madri- what's the family name? Oh, you watched it. What's the family name? You watched it. Yes, I watched it. She ain't have no gift. Oh, but she had a gift. Yeah, I got a tie out of my seat. My God. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno. And that's cultural. <laughs> <laughs> that's cultural. Katie, have you seen or heard about Encanto? I haven't. I mean, I've heard of it. Yes, I have not seen it. Encanto. Encanto. I was going to say, I, I was going to say, either. I think it's Encanto, but I was like, this must be a white thing that people do. This must be a thing. But yes, Encanto is not Spanish. I'm very much a black Southern gay man. Encanto. No, Encanto um, is how it's pronounced. I'll be proper. But I haven't seen it either. Not yet. But my plan is to watch it. So we got a question from Lisa out of Atlanta. And she said, Can you please talk about how all the white people are colonizing Encanto to make it a movie about them? What they doing? How? So I haven't watched it yet, but what I hear on the TikToks... You such... You your daddy. You just became your daddy. On the TikTok. On the TikToks. On the TikToks. On the clock out. Boomer. (laughs) They're saying... So white creators, white content creators are reflecting on Encanto after watching it and talking about how they see themselves in the film. So it's a Disney film about generational trauma. It's about a Colombian family and how there's generational trauma that's passed down from family member to family member based on the different roles they play in their family system. On the TikToks, white content creators are identifying with certain characters and talking about how it just gave them all the feels and helped them through their stuff without acknowledging the fact that a lot of the traumas that are reflected in the film are rooted in a particular cultural experience. Colombian content creators are clapping back like, hold on, this ain't yours, this is ours. 
What do you all think about this? Sam, you having seen it, and Katie, you being a white person who may or may not participate in these types of activities, what does our read? I don't know. I'm thinking about what you just said. I used to work with a guy who used to always say, no matter what, if he had an idea or a statement or something that happened, and you said, oh, that was good. I'm, I might use that. I might say that. He always say, cite your source. He'll always say that. And I think whiteness refuses to do that, right? Whiteness may be able to identify with some of the things in the film, but the way that whiteness whites is that it refuses to give the credit where credit is due, right? And so it's kind of like, oh, you know, and before you know it, there'll be a white encanto. That's, that's the encanto I was talking about. <laughs> Without any reference to the real encanto. And, and listen, it's nothing new. Like, think about, think about the 60s, think about the 50s and 70s. I'm thinking about a particular era in music where you had black and minority artists making hits, but you had the white people getting rich off of them, remaking those songs and really robbing creators of their product their creativity, their genius. I mean, it's the, it's the same thing. White gonna wipe. When you said that, I thought about Hound Dog. Everybody thinks little Elvis Presley was the first one to say, You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Crying all the time. That's the only voice we know it is. But really, you need to think about your black grandmother making macaroni and cheese because Mama Thornton, Mama Thornton in 1952 was the first to record that song. But it was popularized by Elvis Presley, who never cited his source. I was not aware of that. And see, I'm ignorant. I agree with you. And I don't, you are ignorant. Don't, don't agree too hard. I thought you liked when I agreed. No. So when I be in a space where a white creator, a white preacher, a white anything starts to talk about stuff as if it's theirs, I'm going to holler, cite your source. <laughs> cite your source. <laughs> See, y'all used to these real quiet, real submissive parishioners that talk about, amen, that's right, <laughs> pastor. Saying more, pastor. Uh-huh, that's good, pastor. No, <laughs> cite your source. Oh, no. <laughs> because you're quoting James Baldwin and trying to act like you're sure. Mm-hmm. This is not in canto. It is in canto. Cite <laughs> your source. <laughs> and it's just not an entertainment, right? It's in academia. It's in science. It's in everything that we can think about. Those brilliant minority minds who create um, are robbed by white folks, by white supremacy. I'm ready for Black History Month. Th- th- that's what we about to do during Black History Month. Every podcast episode during Black History Month, we're going to talk about... No, how- we're not. Don't just come up with an idea on the spot that we're not going to do. I don't. We, we don't do want it. that. We're going to do it. We're going to talk about the shit white folks have stolen. Oh, yeah. I like that. Let's do that. Katie, you about to get a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> she going to be like, I did not know that. The cell phone? Oh, shit. The traffic <laughs> She going to be cool oh, damn, for the, the next oh, two weeks. Wow. The refrigerator? The lawnmower? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, I got to look stuff up now. Yeah, she's going to be like, y'all niggas created a lot. Blood transfusions, y'all. What? We invented slavery. Y'all stole that shit from us too. That fool said we invented slavery. Don't give white people the argument that they've been trying to use. (laughs) We didn't do it. They was doing it before we got there. No, I think you're... uh, I agree with all the cite your source thing. I think what... If you are watching a movie and you see... Or you're reading a book and, and you see something that resonates with you, that's great. Take it to your therapist and journal about it or something like that. But the reality is that it's not the same context because you haven't experienced the generational trauma of slavery or generational trauma of being disconnected from your culture. And so it's not the same. There might be something that resonates, but you don't need to post, I'm just like a character in Encanto or what have you. 
Because you're not. You are not like a character from Encanto. You are in Encanto. You can't <laughs> do that. You can't do that. <laughs> we'll have to probably do a full-length episode once we've all watched it because it sounds like it's a very generative topic that we could really go a lot of places on. So that's enough of that. For announcement number two, KT, what you got? Oh, mm. Ooh. defend. Okay. COVID-19 is the topic of all things sports right now. From- wait a minute. Can we pause for a moment of silence? Did somebody just hit you in your stomach? Why? What happened? She's like, <clears throat> Oh, because I got because I got confused. So I'll start again. No, I'm leaving it all in. I hate you. <laughs> COVID nineteen is a topic of all things sports right now. From tennis player Novak Djokovic acting like Aaron Rodgers, but facing accountability, hey, getting kicked out of Australia. Hey, what is he a joke? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but I'm not that corny. He is probably not a joke on the on the uh, tennis court, but he is a joke because he thinks vaccines are not okay. So uh, but he actually doesn't like being told what to do, apparently. But he was kicked out of Australia because of that. He doesn't have a vaccine. And unlike the U.S., Australia is not interested in giving sports and a quotes around heroes, a pass with their refusal to get a vaccine. So Djokovic is leaving on a jet plane and doesn't know if he's going to be able to come back again to defend his Australian Open title. He's leaving on a jet plane. Don't know when he'll be back again. Is that a song? Is that the black version of the song that John Denver <laughs> stole? <laughs> that's not John that's Denver's the, song. That's the original. Mm-hmm. That's the black version. Mm-hmm. No, okay, okay. <laughs> I appreciate this. White people need accountability. Is, is Novak, do we count him as white? I mean, he's Serbian. Do we count Serbians as white people? Mm-hmm. That's the question. I think it's important to ask them. Yes. Okay. Do the Serbians think that they white? Do you? Did he not fly to Australia without a vaccine? and was and was demanding that he be allowed to play in the Australian Open mm-hmm, and to hell right. with right. and to hell with Thank anybody you. who's okay. immunocompromised or might die from COVID because he wanted he got his rights. <laughs> I got my rights. And he appealed twice and then lost. The Omicron variant is also in the news because it is going to likely affect the Winter Olympic Games that begin in China in just over three weeks, even though they are China. still the only... I, I am white, but not that white. Um, even though they are the only country still chasing full eradication of COVID-19. I mean, they shut down entire towns of 4 million people for like two people testing positive for COVID. So in the Olympic Games, for the Olympic Games and the Paralympic Games, they will take place in what organizers are calling a closed loop management system. Once you get there, you're going to eat, sleep, work, and compete without ever leaving until the day you go home and you aren't going to see anything after that except the airplane. I feel like this is very bad PR for China. This is what people think that happens when you go there anyways. <laughs> they lock right. you up. Don't let you out. You can't. Like, China, this is right? horrible PR. That's going to be a talking point, right? <laughs> they want us to be China. They want us to become China. Or, or I'm trying to say it like Donald Trump said it. Like, China. China. He said it with a J. China. China. I wonder if um, over, I think during this pandemic over the last two years, they have made, they have lifted the one child policy in China. You know, for a long time, because of booming population, China had a one child policy. Like you, you could not have more than one child in China. No, 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 no. They actually lifted the one child policy in 2016, but replaced it with a two child limit in in 2016, but then they released, they lifted that. 
so it sounds to me like the Chinese are the best Christians. Well, listen, this kind of takes us into our next See what church announcement. I set myself <laughs> I up. You up. I set myself up. You know how you know they've had more than 5,000 deaths? Because they lived in this policy. Mm-hmm. So, let me. Uh, the, this, com- this church announcement comes from the Perfect Pause Pet Ministry. Oh, come on, Perfect Pause. <laughs> the Perfect Pause Pet Ministry. Oh, yes. Uh, wants to invite all of you out on Wednesday for a uh, protest of the pontiff. Mm. The Pope has said that couples or, or families who opt to have pets over children are selfish. <laughs> and they are destroying humanity. Mm. <laughs> yes, the Pope said that. The Pope said that mother, the, the, the denial of motherhood and fatherhood when he was giving a speech about St. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, he said that these days people don't want to have kids. They want pets instead of kids. And the Pope says that's just wrong. That is selfish. And you all are going to hell. He didn't say that part. But, you know, the Pope says you're, you're selfish. You should have children. Wait a minute. Hear me out. Hear me out. I feel like you need animals in order to have a fucking manger. <laughs> like, how do you have the nativity <laughs> without animals? If the Lord didn't want us to have animals, why was the Son of God born in a stable filled with hay and swaddling cloths right. and sheep and cows right. and horses and dogs? And what do we do with the whole image of Jesus as shepherd if there are no animals? <laughs> what? Well, I just don't get it. Then what is Jesus? Social media is just ablaze with this too. One of the things that's funny is, so the Pope mad at us because we choose to have more pets than children. Is the Vatican going to pay for daycare? Somebody <laughs> said, somebody was like, oh yeah, you're right. Um, Pope, um, you have kids, right? The shade of it all. Right, like, exactly. And, then, and, then, and first, the first picture right. was laughing and the second picture was more serious. It was like, but you have kids, right? No, you don't. See, I feel like this is sort of on brand, though. It's very anti-gay. It's very homophobic. I was just about to say he's that. He's basically saying gay people are killing the planet. That's what he's saying. Oh, destro- <laughs> he's saying gay people are destroying humanity. But I'm trying to figure out, does he want us to get married and have babies then? Does the Catholic Church want to start a program wherein gay men can exchange sperm for eggs? Don't you need both of them? In other news, Brandon is pregnant. He is <laughs> six w- weeks. Uh, no, I'm just playing. Listen, you ain't about to get me canceled like they tried to cancel Lil Nas X. <laughs> 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 You're not about to get me canceled. <laughs> but you do need both, Katie. That's why I'm having an exchange. Okay. I, I would take your eggs, store them in the Vatican, take my sperm, store it in the Vatican. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Here's another thing. His name is, isn't it St. Francis? Isn't that his name? It's Pope Francis. Yeah. Oh, he's named for St. Francis, who was all about the animals. This is really crazy now. Well, this is shocking because this pope is considered to be a more progressive pope. He's given a nod to um, same-sex marriage. He's given a nod yeah. to, to, on some level, um, or he's been more quiet about issues around like abortion than previous popes. And so some people are kind of shocked that he made this, that he made this comment. Somebody said, not sure... You should be talking about more children. Catholic priests do not molest pets. As far as you know. That's what the next person said. Oh, <laughs> uh, Brandon, did you write the next comment? Yes, I did. Right, exactly. Yes, I did not. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, to all my Catholic friends out there, we're not hating on you. You know your priests have been molesting kids and so have many of ours. And um, we need to stop that shit. And we also have to have dogs. And cats and other animals. Dogs aren't only animals. All pets matter. Plot twist and a dramatic turn of events. The president of the People's Republic of China and the Pope are getting gay married to repopulate the planet. <laughs> the Pope's like, I see your new child policies and I raise you 
animals. We're going to get rid of the animals and birth this, more babies. This was a very interesting <laughs> church announcement. Plot twist. The Vatican's moving to China. <laughs> this is why Donald Trump doesn't need to get elected because he wants to one up. He's going to want to one up all of these crazy things. You remember? He was like, we're going to build a wall. It's going to be the best wall you've ever seen. Better than the wall of China. Now he's going to be like, we're going to have a policy. It's going to be the best one child policy. We're going to get rid of our, we're going to get rid of the animals. It's going to be the best. No animals. Plot twist. <laughs> Plot twist. Xi Jinping. Those are his pronouns. <laughs> Jesus. Plot twist. Xi Jinping, oh Donald Trump, and Pope Francis are in a throuple and they're all going to repopulate the planet. <laughs> Can you imagine what, what that offspring would be like? Wow. Yes. I was trying to find a funny. Oh, yes, I can. Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> Marjorie Greenberg. <laughs> Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Green. You're just talking about Greta Thunberg and Marjorie Taylor Green together. <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Green is the first child of this thruple. That was great. That concludes our church announcements for today. <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break, get our get ourselves together, and come back slightly more serious for our word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Pod, pod, God. Thanks, Peter Pie God. <laughs> if you're watching this episode, then know that Brandon is a horrible person. If you're watching the episode, I'm really confused. <laughs> if you're listening to, <laughs> watching with your ears, <laughs> audible watching. <laughs> um, However, if you're hearing with your eyes. Um... <laughs> hey, pod friends. Did you know that Spotify now allows podcast ratings? If you're one of our beloved listeners who tunes in via Spotify, go ahead and hit that five-star review. And with that, let's get back into it. Welcome back from that quick break. We have come to my favorite part of the podcast, the Word of Pod for the people of Pod. Thanks Thanks to to Pod. Pod. Today's Word of Pod is about heroes. There's an answer. There's an answer. No. Why do you got to start Eight octaves higher than I start. Everybody knows you has range. Everyone knows you can sing. But I'm not trying to have range. I'm trying to sing it in the right key. That's a that's a, you are not Mariah Carey. <laughs> Jesus. That, I, I, I'm trying to figure out where it is. I think it's, there's an answer if you look inside your soul. That sounds right. And the soul that you know right away. Okay, you don't have to sing the whole song. I, I got to get to the right part. Uh, then a hero comes along. That's it. That's where it is. <laughs> get straight to carry on. It's the cops. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, last week we talked a little bit about Desmond Tutu, Bell Hooks, Betty White. And after we recorded, we learned that Sidney Poitier also passed away. You got to say his name with dignity like that because y'all be saying Poitier. <laughs> That's how black people say it. Do you all know where Sydney was from? South Africa. I like the way that you were so confidently <laughs> wrong. <laughs> I was not trying to be right. Like, I don't think that's right, but I don't know where he's from. South Africa. <laughs> no, not. no, no. He was from. He's Bahamian. He was from Cat Island in the Bahamas. And if you visit the Bahamas, they'll tell you that every time you go. Huh. You've clearly been there far too many times. Many times. Okay, it says Miami, Florida. But go ahead. He he moved to Miami from his father when he was young. He moved with his brother to Miami, but he's from the Bahamas. That was a tangent. So all four of the people that I just named are, in my humble opinion, he heroes in their own right and regard. And today in the United States, we are observing the annual King holiday that some believe commemorates
commemorates the life and legacy of another hero, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Over the course of the last two years, it seems that we have lost so many people. It doesn't just seem like it. We actually have. Um, I would say that many of those people had a heroic quality. In addition to the folks that we've already named, we also lost Chadwick Boseman, John Lewis, Cicely Tyson, Kobe Bryant, Joseph Lowry, C.T. Vivian, DMX, and the list goes on and on. I'm sorry. But why you got to laugh when you say DMX? <laughs> because I feel like he's in a different league from the people that I was saying. <laughs> I'm so done with you. Yeah, you just like naming all these like phenomenal, like <laughs> DMX is a legend. So let's put some respect on his name, okay? Jesus. He, he, uh, he's a legend, but he may, he may not be, well, he, he's somebody hero. And can you let's name call him somebody white hero. person? We lost Bob Doe. We lost... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can we name Betty White again? Betty White. <laughs> what was the conservative radio talk show host? Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh died. Why the hell are we talking about all these horrible white people? I'm naming heroes. <laughs> so honestly, I thought about other white people and I thought John McCain died during the pandemic because it's been going on for the last 17 <laughs> years, but he died before the pandemic. He died 18 uh, years ago. <laughs> we lost Daddy Bush. So this is a, Was that before the pandemic? <laughs> I think it was before the pandemic. Oh. We lost Blanche, Rose, Dorothy. <laughs> we lost all the golden girls. <laughs> Death is not funny until it is, but this is the levity in the conversation. But for all the people that we've just named who actually died during the pandemic who were actually heroes. So everyone other than the white folks Sam just named. When we think about... Colin Powell. Yeah. Colin Powell. That's He's not white. <laughs> he's not white, but he's still a hero that died. <laughs> Ultimately, the recent deaths of Bishop Tutu, Bell Hooks, and to a lesser extent, Betty White and Sidney Poitier, they have me asking, what do we do when our heroes die? How do we honor their legacies who continue speaking truth to power like Bishop Tutu or Martin Luther King Jr., even until the point of death? Who fills the shoes of a giant? Is it possible for us to um, refrain from whitewashing the stories of our heroes and sanitizing their messages in the same manner that some have done to Martin Luther King Jr. or even, dare I say, Jesus? Oh. Do we have to create fictitious, inflated versions of those humans to continue being our heroes well after they're dead and gone? So I agree with you, but you have me saying I don't agree with you. I mean, I, I do think people whitewash Jesus. I was just saying that you love Jesus a lot. I do love Jesus, but love Jesus. people don't, they take what they think the Bible used to say and and they haven't even read the Bible. That's heavy. They take what they think the Bible used to say. Used to say. That's a lot of mm -hmm. words in that sentence, Ricks. So they think the Bible, not, not what the Bible currently says, what, what they think that it said in the past. Well, right. I mean, well, I think about all different kinds of translations or something like that, but they think what they've been told, I think is what I was saying, but it came out more profound. So let's stick with what I said, but they're not even reading it. They're, they're going with what they've been told the Bible says. And they've never asked questions critically, period. I just assumed that you wouldn't like the fact that I said Jesus had an inflated sort of story. Uh, but how could she not agree with that? Because you love the Lord. The, the guy who would have to not be paying attention. Because she loves Jesus. She don't like the whitewashed version of Jesus. Right. I mean, like Sam has uh, studied Martin Luther King's readings with intensity. And he can say his words have been whitewashed when Aaron Rodgers using it about his COVID ridiculousness. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the whitewashing. Come on. Bring in your, bring in your hero, Katie. 
Well, let's start your Green Bay Packer hero. I'm not doing this. Mm-mm. That's your quarterback. My quarterback is Jordan Love. Well, let's start with Bishop Tutu. Sam, you actually studied with Bishop Tutu in South Africa a few years back. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well, you got to meet him. Right. I got to meet him, have breakfast, and, <laughs> and he gave us a few uh, nice quotes, you know, um, and served communion, but that was it. You got to embellish. You got to embellish. I studied under Bishop Tutu's tutelage. That's how we do. And when I say we, I mean niggas. <laughs> <laughs> White people do it too, but they just call it writing history. (laughs) What legacy do you think that Bishop Tutu leaves in South Africa and in the world? And do you think that it's possible for people and or countries to carry on his legacy without sanitizing the bite of his message? Because he had a pretty strong critique of the empire pretty consistently, right? Uh, Yeah, he did have a consistent, strong critique of the empire. And I think him, much like Mandela, much like King, the message resonates differently depending on where and who, Hmm. right? So around the world, those who know Bishop Tutu see him as this larger-than-life figure who really prevented genocide or all-out civil war in South Africa after a transition of power. But young South Africans today see him as... I won't use the word traitor. I think that's strong. But they see him as a failed leader who did not deliver on the promises of Mandela because he was one of those folks after that transition who ensured Mandela's success on the backdrop that Black South Africans would not continue to live in the state that they were in. Young South Africans now say nothing has changed other than we see more Black people in leadership. Uh, I think the term you used, Brandon, was ornamental diversity within government, within society. That's what we have. We don't have a real transfer of wealth and transfer of power. And it's because Tutu wept and said, if white people confess their sins, they won't go to prison. And black South Africans, young black South Africans say, that's a bunch of bullshit. See, that's intriguing because I thought that you would actually say something different because, again, I didn't study under Bishop Tutu. No, you didn't. Neither did you, but I. <laughs> neither did I have lunch with him or dinner or whatever. It was breakfast. He didn't even bless me like he did you. His name is on my certificate. He signed my um, certificate for the program. Did he really? Yeah, I got it. I'm serious. Was it a computer-generated signature? Did you, like, lick your thumb and smear it? Nope. It was his signature. I think what you just said, how you responded which is not how I expected you to, um, leaves me asking a different set of questions. The point that I was going to make is that Bishop Tutu and Martin Luther King Jr. represent part of a dying breed of religious leaders that are at least willing to critique institutions and to advocate for stronger systems to support the marginalized and oppressed. But it sounds like what you're saying is younger populations, younger generations perceive him to be a little bit of an accommodationist or someone whose spark was worse than his bite. Is it accommodation to call everyone to task? It can be. During apartheid and then during the Truth and Reconciliation. I mean, he was challenging the Afrikaans government just as much as he was challenging the African National Congress, right? Mm-hmm. And once Mandela took charge, he was critiquing Mandela. I mean, take it out of being about Desmond Tutu. There are very few people who can stand in that space, not in the middle, because it's different, but to stand in the place of that tension and say, this is completely wrong and this is completely wrong. But is that accommodationist? Uh, I think I think Black South Africans will say the accommodationist part is because Mandela placed Tutu kind of in charge of the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa. Right. And the decision to say, no matter how bad, you can confess to killing whole families, 
if you come and participate in this process and you confess what you have done, you won't have to pay the price for those crimes. And there was this almost like spectacle, so to speak. I I mean, maybe we wouldn't describe it like that at the time, but there was almost this thing where people would literally, white people would come out of fear of spending the rest of their lives in prison, not necessarily because they were genuinely repentant for their actions that would say, mm-hmm. oh, yes, I killed them, or yes, I did this, or yes, I brutalized this person or this family and all of this stuff. Right. And because Tutu was authentic in his beliefs, it moved him deeply. It impacted him to his core, and he was crying, and he was, you know, all of this stuff, and he embraced those folks with forgiveness. There are some folks who would be like, yes, you know, I'm so hopeful, and this is, you know, there's so much hope, and I, this is so beautiful, and kumbaya, and can't we all and you know all that shit and black people's like right. no no hell no like this is not this is not no i've read about the truth and reconciliation commission but was there no accountability even for the leadership or anything like that was the accountability that was the truth portion some people might think i can't believe that let me go research it go research it you will see that there were people who actually confessed to very heinous brutal crimes and because of their participation in that process they did not go to jail they did not serve time even in uh rwanda after the genocide there was some type of action that had to be taken these people after they confessed they they have to help rebuild communities or homes for the families of the victims they had to participate you know in something but it was much different South Africa and black South Africans are kind of like, this is why white people still running rampant and raising hell on everybody in South Africa. Well, I mean, in some ways, this is like a little bit of a preview into next week's Word of Pod conversation. But I think for me, and still thinking about this topic of heroes, what we do when they die, I think the reason that some people call Desmond Tutu a hero is because, one, he had a lot of firsts. Like he was one of the first black folks named as a bishop in, the, in his tradition. Mm-hmm. And he inhabited that role in a way that many others who came before him were not able to. And I still would say, by and large, even though there is this appropriate critique from younger generations of Desmond Tutu, I would say that by and large, people would say in death, Desmond Tutu stood for principles of justice, principles of equity, principles of setting the captives free, all those religious things that we hear talked about in Christian scripture. And I'm curious if when leaders or heroes emerge from sort of traumatic situations or or experiences of collective trauma, is there a limit to what religion offers us in the way of one, honoring their life and their legacy? And is there also a way in which religion limits those leaders in actually fighting for the changes that are necessary to make their words actionable? That's a lot there, right? So I I think I'm trying to suggest or ask the question, is religion a barrier to our processes of making meaning, making meaning of the life of a hero, making meaning out of collective trauma? No, I wouldn't say religion. I would say interpretation i mean i mean i I just i just think it's you know some people's religion isn't some people's religion is an aid but everything is different right i don't think it's a barrier i I would say it is one piece of the puzzle whatever faith you claim most likely will encourage or convict you to be active in the world or i believe that my faith convicts me to act in the world as well as 
holding on to this hope of reconciliation, which I don't think is possible in this world. So we're having several conversations here, which is what happens in the word of pod, because from my vantage point, even if a question seems simple, what do you do when your heroes die? It's rare that that question can stand alone. There's typically 57 other questions that emerge as a result of that. And in some ways, what I hear us doing is even wrestling with what it means to call someone a hero and what is the function of a hero. I've already showed my hand. I do think that Betty White, um, Sidney Poitier, Desmond Tutu, Bill Hooks, all these folks have a heroic quality to me. They're heroes for me, but I'm curious if they function in the same manner for you and or what that means to give someone that label. When you when you call someone a hero, what do you mean? I just want to say first, I want to say, even though I was trying to nuance how I think young black South Africans feel about Tutu, I, I still regard him as a hero in his own right. You know, a story that I just read about Harry Belafonte and Sidney Poitier during the Freedom Summer in Mississippi when they found the three civil rights workers uh, who had been killed and the movement was about to run out of funds, out of money. And Sidney and Harry both flew to Mississippi to deliver, I think it was about sixty or $70,000 so that they could have the resources and keep going. Mm-hmm. I think after they left the airport, like this truck with white folks in it got behind them and was trying to intimidate them and run them off the road. And they persisted to get the funds to where they needed to be. Now, Partier was never king in what he did, but his function was his function. Like what he did was what he could do and he did it and he lived into that well. And so he certainly is a hero. I feel the same about Archbishop Desmond Tutu. If we didn't have Archbishop Desmond Tutu doing what he was doing, we have no idea what state South Africa would be in right now. And so even though I hear the critique of young Black South Africans about Tutu and about Mandela, I regard both of them as heroes. And I think that they lived into the calling or the work that they were supposed to be doing in this world. I had to look up here. Come on, Miriam Webster. So a hero is someone who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Thank you, Miriam. I think so often hero is thrown around a lot, and I'm not sure about that. However, I think certainly the people that we've mentioned are such, are are definitely heroes, at least to somebody. Um, to whom? To the Republicans, military personnel of that time. Yeah. But I think we spend so much time talking about these big folks and there's heroes every day that are doing things. At the same time, I think these people like Desmond Tutu and Martin Luther King, Jesus, they convict us in a way in which we move differently in our lives. Like right now, Betty White's birthday is January 17th and they were, they were going to do a big birthday celebration for her. They're still doing it. Also, this thing is going around the country, at least if not around the world, to say, hey, donate to an animal shelter or, or an animal rescue place. What the f- you hadn't heard about it, Sam? No, first of all, the 17th is King Day. It's Betty White's birthday. Uh, second of all, the Pope said people who have animals and don't have children are selfish. <laughs> I hate you. So I, I think a hero is someone who is convicted by something deeper than themselves, but also inspires others. So I'm glad that you kind of pulled it back to ask the question about what is a hero, because I think for me, hearing you talk about it makes me reflect in a different way. I actually don't use the hero language frequently. I don't either. I don't have many people that I'm like, oh my God, that's my hero. Or if I do it, I'm saying it jokingly. Um, (laughs) Like, 
kind of in jest. So wait, all those times you've said it to me, it wasn't... I was lying. Okay. And me, he told me I was his hero this morning before you got on. I've never said that to you. He was singing to me Mariah Carey's hero song. I, that's never happened. Yeah, I recorded it. Uh, then a hero comes along. That's it. That's where it is. But give you strength to carry on. And Wind Beneath My Wings. He sung that to me as well. I never told you you're my hero. You're nothing that I would like to be. <laughs> <laughs> you said, have I ever told you that you're my hero? You're everything I hope to be. That's what mm-hmm. the words that you said. I said, have I told you lately that I love you? Mm-hmm. Different song. And then you said, because I was lying. <laughs> like, I, I don't use that language frequently. And when we decided to talk about this for today's Word of Pod, I was reading all of these articles about how Desmond Tutu is a hero. Desmond Tutu is a hero. We, we've lost a treasure. And we were also getting these articles about Betty White being the equivalent of America's Queen of England and how we've lost America's national treasure, America's sweetheart. There's all this language. Please. What? Don't, don't you, don't you, uh, don't you talk about Betty. Right, right. No, I mean, please, with what this episode is about, the sanitization of people's image, right? Correct. Like, King is everyone's hero. Hero, yeah. But they hated King before he died. Correct. They was trying to kill King before he died because of how radical he was. And so, yeah, they say all of this stuff. White people didn't like uh, Tutu right after the transition of power. Well, I think that's what I'm trying to push to, right? So, I mean, you've pushed, you've pushed us there really quickly. When we call people heroes, there's a way in which I think we're trying to wrestle with the fact that there seems to be something unjust that happened in their lifetime and or in their death. There was a piece in the Psychiatric Times that talked about during the pandemic, how we had all these signs in the windows to talk about heroes work here. Yeah. And that made me think about like 9-11 and how we talked about how so many heroes died on that day. And the reality is that hero language actually serves to function as a coping mechanism. Right. We treated Martin Luther King like shit. We treated Desmond Tutu like shit. Sidney Poitier, I mean, if I were going to call him a hero, but I think people did call him heroes, is because he was a black movie star. Mm-hmm. He was the first black movie star to win an Academy Award for Best Actor for his performance in Lilies of the Field in 1964. And so my thing is, there was still injustice in the fact that there had never been a black person prior to Sidney Poitier who had received an Academy Award. And that we had to wait like 20, 30, 40 years later until Denzel Washington was awarded the Best Actor Award in the Academy. And you might say that black folks not getting awards isn't an injustice, that an Academy Award is not essential. Well, if the if it's good enough for the goose, it's good enough for the gander. So I guess I'm trying to say that that language of hero almost functions as a public apology for treating those people like shit throughout their lives. Right. And it's not just the white people who is treating them as shit. We realized that with King, right? Some of his heaviest criticism came from black folks, especially when he started speaking out about the war in Vietnam. But same with Sydney Party. I was reading about um, how he was very intentional about the roles that he would accept, mm-hmm. right? And he did not just accept any role. Um, but because he was one of the first in a lot of areas, he often was the only black person on the set. Mm-hmm. And because he demanded certain roles, you know, he was was always cast in a certain light and he began to get heavy criticism from black people so much so that this man got depressed and moved back to the Bahamas for a period of time because he was like isn't this the whole point like I'm trying to break barriers I'm trying to establish a standard I'm trying to make sure that whoever comes behind me doesn't have to settle for peanuts because they believe that these are the roads that black people should just be happy with accepting but it seemed for him like he was being criticized for trying to have his own standard and the very people that he was hoping he was building you know a legacy for you know or open 
opening doors for was saying, why are these only roles you playing? You think you're better than us? Right. You know, why you ain't, you know, why you ain't playing this role? Why you ain't doing this? And and he's, he was like, he couldn't take it. He had to move back to the Bahamas for a period of time because he just was done. He was tired of it. Right. When you're telling that story, it reminded me of Desmond Tutu and the people who are, he's receiving critique from, I can't think of what we do when we make someone a hero, but when we deify a hero, we put them on a pedestal and we think that the things that we see are what their lives are, right? So in, in a sense, what you're saying is it's an apology. However, that's what this article too was saying. We're not acknowledging the depth of their lives. Right. I mean, how much they struggled and how much they had to eat ramen noodles until they got the right role, right? We haven't talked about the fact that that the people who died in 9-11 have families who lost a ton of people or even in in COVID. And they're talking about healthcare professionals who can't like be with their families for months and months while they're trying to stay away. So we don't have any desire as a culture to acknowledge the depth of ick like the crap that we all live with. And so um, making someone a, quote, hero disembodies them from their life. And I think that's a challenge. Right. At the same time, I was deeply disappointed when Betty White died. I didn't think, like, how could she, how could she die? She's not supposed to. She was supposed to. I was sort of joking. I know you are. She was 874 years old. You were going to stop disrespecting Betty White. <laughs> but what we want is that person who is funny and who is compassionate and who is justice seeking. That's what we want. And so if she's the only one we've thought of, then that's gone. But that's when you disembody someone from their lives or even think that we can't do that. Yeah. I think this is actually a good spot for a quick break. And then I want to come back and offer an invitation. We're going to probably shift our invitation a bit here in the new year. So you'll get used to it and you'll get in where you fit in. We're not going to each give an invitation every single time. One of us will offer that and we'll have a brief dialogue about the invitation. Good. Shut up, Sam. Praise God. I'm guessing it's Brandon. But we're going to try to rotate it. I have an assumption it'll likely default to me unless the spirit moves in Katie or Sam's life. But today, it'll be me. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. I just want y'all to know that these aren't real breaks if you're still listening. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get a break. (laughs) I'm just wondering how it defaults to you when you just do it. Is that defaulting or is that just making it happen? Today it will default to me because I didn't warn y'all that we were shifting it beforehand. I didn't assign it to anyone. It's going to always default to him. Uh The decision will default to him. I'm fine with that. (laughs) Can you identify yourself as a hero? Beyonce would. Call me a hero? No, I identify herself as a hero. She'd be like, I'm a hero. (laughs) 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 You're going to hell. So please don't come for me, Beyonce. Uh, Beehive people. Y'all know the comedian Nicole Byer? Yeah. Wait, what is the name of that show? Nailed it. Oh, I love Nailed it. Nailed it! She's on HBO Max now with John Cena for the return of Wipeout. Interesting. And she also has a Netflix comedy special out called BBW. No, Katie, that doesn't stand for Big Black Woman. It stands for Big Black Weirdo, maybe. (laughs) In the middle of the special, she says, Who asked for The Lion King to be remade? Who did it? No one asked for that. And who made Beyonce (laughs) Nyla? 
Simba, let's go to Pride Rock. <laughs> and, and she had a lot of white people who didn't get it, but the black folks were cackling. And she said, if you're a white person, go listen to Beyonce after this and you'll understand. That was a great impersonation. Simba, let's go to Pride Rock. <laughs> listen, I love Nicole Byer. Um, I did not know who she was until I watched Nailed It. If you if you go watch Nailed It on Netflix, I'm, I'm, we're not Netflix. Pay us some money. Producers of Nailed It, give us some money. But go watch Nailed It. Thank you. Give us money. You better speak it, say it until you see it. Anyways, we've come once again to the end of an episode, and for today's invitation, we were dancing around it before the break, but we want to just offer this word to you. What I've been able to unearth in this conversation is maybe what we really should be doing is not making people heroes at all. At the end of the day, heroes don't ever die. Humans do. And if we are able to grapple with the fact that everybody who dies is deeply human and we tell truthful stories about who they were, what they did, what they didn't do, and how they got on our nerves, Desmond Tutu's voice was like nails on a chalkboard. Let's be honest. How can the memory of his voice, like nails on a chalkboard, remind us that voice and that critique for some felt like nails on a chalkboard because he was the thorn in the side of the African National Congress. He was the thorn in the side of young generations in South Africa who felt like he's an accommodationist. He's not actually going far enough. He was a thorn in everybody's side, but he was also a human who stayed true to who he was, what he felt called to in his beliefs every single day of his life, at least as far as I can see and I know. But that doesn't make him a hero. That makes him deeply human. I feel some kind of way that we didn't talk about King and his holiday was today. But don't you feel like we've talked enough about King? No. I feel like what, what you're saying, like we've talked about the sanitized version of King. Everybody goes out and does a day of service on King Day. Everybody does this. Everybody does that. This upcoming week, I'm going to be preaching and I'm going to be talking about King. And we're going to talk about the power to change institutions. We're going to talk about the real King. And we're going to talk about what his message was and what his method was and why it was effective and why we can't allow it to be co-opted by white folks. Um, not then, not now. I don't think we talked enough about that, especially since most of our listeners are white. We should have been talking about some of that. I don't know if most of them are white. All of Katie's friends are white. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. I don't think that we did talk enough about King. You're right. And maybe that's because we default to whatever my sort of opinion is many times because neither of you want to respond to my text messages. But not true. I'm just tired of talking about King. And it is because of this sanitization of him and how we've made him this figure that is void of any of the critique that he had in his lifetime. And it's void of the sort of call for systemic change and the call for us to overhaul the very systems that we still rely on so heavily today. Like if we had taken King seriously, January the 6th looks a lot different. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have happened, but I'm saying that when King died, his message died with him. And what we have allowed to live on most strongly in the American so-called democracy is a whitewashed version of King that's more palatable and easy to swallow, that's more digestible for the white folks and the black folks who didn't like him. Well, see, the thing is, this is where I kind of disagree with you. 
I wouldn't necessarily say it's whitewashed. Have you seen the stone in D.C.? Whitest- I wouldn't say it's whitewashed because what people have done is taken an actual part of his message. And that's the only part that they focus on, which is the nonviolent part. What the people are focusing on is, is very true to King. And so maybe, I guess in some sense, you could say it's whitewashed, but it's not embellished, right? It's not, it's not a lie that some of these things that people hold on dearly to are, are actually things that King were about. They just don't deal with the man in totality. They don't deal with the wholeness of his message and all of who he is. So in that sense, yes, it's whitewashed. But in many cases, they ain't lying. You just being antagonistic. No, I'm not. I guess when I think about whitewash, it's like some people actually like change the message or lie about, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like in King's case, which is some of my critique against King, is I think there was depth to him that he tried to hide because he wanted to be known as this nonviolent person. But, but he had a gun when, when his house got bombed. Like he was willing to shoot and kill folks. He relied on violence to advance his movements. He canceled going to Albany when he realized that the sheriff wasn't going to throw them in jail and beat them with billy clubs because he needed violence to advance his movement. And so this idea that he was totally against violence is lost upon me because his strategy was built upon somebody being violent even though it wasn't him. And so these are the nuances of his message that I think get lost when we don't talk about it. And I think folks like us have to talk about it and have to raise it. So the invitation is let people be human and resist the urge to make them a hero. Because oftentimes when we're trying to describe the heroic qualities people have, it really is their humanity that we're talking about. It's not any heroic quality. It's the fact that they have the courage to be deeply and fully human every single day of their lives. And that's the task. What do you do when a hero dies? Refuse to let anybody call them a hero. What about Jesus? He's not a hero. He was a human. You about to to mess Katie up? (laughs) No, I'm not talking about Jesus. I don't think that the label of hero is necessarily the invitation. I mean, that can be your invitation. There's only one. Yeah, but I'm going to say you can make someone a hero, but you need to understand the complexity and depth of their lives. And so it's difficult to make someone a hero unless you understand all of their humanity which is sort of what you're saying. But if you want to call someone a hero, go ahead, but understand all of it. That's what I would say. Katie, you just said the same thing that I said, but you said it as a white woman. I know that I can come kind of hard sometimes and be like, quit using the word hero. And if that's what you heard, that wasn't necessarily what I was meaning, but also it was. So if you need a softer invitation, Katie gave you the new international version of the invitation and I gave you the new revised standard version of the invitation or the common English Bible version. Ultimately, call the people brave. Say that you admired them. That's the common English Bible translation. And if you need to call him a hero, go read Katie's NIV. That's it. But wait, can't can't somebody be your personal hero? Like, are you saying let's not collectively make people heroes? That's my argument. Got you. My argument is about the collective hero making. Collectively, nationally, globally, stop making people heroes. If you got a personal hero, that's your business. And it's likely the case that they're your hero because they were deeply human. And that is a wrap on this week's episode of Holy Shit Pod. Thank you so much for listening and kicking it with us once again. We will be back next week, same time, same place. Don't forget to fill out that survey. And if you're listening in Spotify, you can now rate and review us. And if you're an Applehead, what you waiting on? Rate and review the pod, friend. All right, y'all. Until next week. Peace. Peace.